0: I have stuck it out all on my own. I endured when I was on treatments that were much less successful than what I have, what I'm on now. You know, I'm so happy to wake up every day and not be depressed. I'm delighted. I have sat here in this house by myself for so many years, and I still did not want to live. I did not want to live. Mm -hmm.
1: attempt survivors. I'm going to keep trying. And I want to thank all the attempt survivors who have joined me here on the podcast since we launched now well over two years ago in July of 2020. And to everybody who listens, thank you. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. There's a few ways to do that. One, email, hello at suicidenoted.com. Two, social media, Facebook or Twitter at suicide noted. And three, a recorded message. You can find a link in the show notes on how to do that. And also in the show notes, you can find a couple of ways to help us out with a financial contribution as we try to share these stories with more and more people around the world to help them feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. And there is one final link to upcoming events, including a virtual open mic storytelling show called the Mental Health Happiest Hour in early November. We would love to see you there, whether you want to tell a story or hear some stories. And finally, we are talking about suicide on this podcast, as the title suggests. Please take that into account before or as you listen. But I do hope you listen, because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with David. David lives in Texas, and he is a suicide attempt survivor. W- what's going on, David? How are you, sir?
0: <laughs> I'm doing fine today, thank you. I've just been looking forward to this.
1: I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're feeling hopefully a little better. Oh, yeah. David in Texas.
0: Yeah, I'm third-generation native, and there are some people who are very, very proud of that. I'm not ashamed of it. But because I just, you know, was born here, you know, it has its pluses and its minuses.
1: Fair. Like anywhere, I guess. Right. So what compelled you to have a two part question? What compelled you to at least look for something online or on a podcast platform or wherever that involved suicide? And then the second part to that is sort of then what compelled you to say? I'm going to reach out to this guy and maybe talk with him.
0: Quite frankly, for the many years after my attempt, I searched for all kinds of things online all throughout the years, just ways to connect with people, particularly on this topic. I sought it out as a kind of support for myself. I came across you on a pbs world there was a little blip on there about your podcast hey, wait hang on, hold up hold up <laughs> pbs what? world i'm on wait, how did they do i, I have to give them permission i don't even know how that works i don't know but that's how i've discovered you holy moly okay so it was mentioned on there and so i looked you up online i was very like Finally, the time that has passed has been about 16 years since I uh, attempted suicide. And I'm happy to report to you and to everyone, I am now on the best treatment for depression that I have been on since 1991. Wow. All right. Just to go back for a moment,
1: a lot of people who might actually actively seek out a podcast with what we call the S word, still wouldn't contact. And I know that you had said that you were curious and I'm not looking for any validation here. I'm just genuinely curious what compels some people to then say, I actually want to share this stuff with a whole lot of people, more and more people. Now, granted, you may never meet any of them, but people will still hear it. A lot of people wouldn't do that. So do you have any idea? I don't know if this is really an answerable question, but why you are in that minority of people who have said, yeah, no, I'm going to do this.
0: For me, it's a, it's a recognition and a validation of the attempt, which I think, as you pointed out many times, uh, it's not a subject that people are willing to talk about. Right. And I have made it my mission Mm -hmm. For example, when I went to a dentist, question of the medications that I was taking involved the three antidepressants that I take. And that conversation, you know, led to discussion about the attempt. He expressed that, you know, it it was a selfish thing that people did by trying to commit suicide. And so I I found an article online uh, from A woman whose father committed suicide and she said she said in her article that it was not a selfish thing. You know, my reaction, if I hear of anyone and I have heard of people committing suicide, my reaction is, you know, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry that anybody got to the point to where that seemed like the option.
1: Mm hmm. Unlike your dentist.
0: Right. And so I you know, I I use it as a tool to explain to people that a lot of these things that you hear people say frequently, people do what they have to, deal with information. And that's one of the things that people do. This like they can check it off in their brain and you know, say, Well, that you know, that was a selfish thing and they can go on. There's never a situation I had a friend on Facebook who mentioned that uh, someone that they knew committed suicide, but then they put the announcement on Facebook, you know, that the the guy passed away. And I was like, okay, he didn't pass away. You know, he killed himself. I just, I'm very uh, particular about that. I don't like using euphemisms. You know, when a family member dies, I, say that they died i don't say they passed away it's okay people say it i know when especially when it's suicide though it's so inappropriate to you know say oh well and so passed away or, or the children in uvalde texas oh they passed away no they didn't pass away they right. were murdered.
1: let's keep the talk real sure I'd imagine some people, I don't know this to be, I don't know for sure. You know, they're trying to be delicate about it. Perhaps they're thinking about their word choice and they don't know what to say, but I want to point something out. And then I want to, if I can move on to your attempt, Uh, there's a word uh, that we have. It's a really cool word in English that your dentist might not understand or certainly didn't use with you and that you seem to use that world is called, that word is called empathy. And uh, I appreciate you and others who are able to uh, be aware of that and then actually employ it, if that's the right word, in their lives. And I would certainly hope, and this is not Sean's stage, uh, but that others, including medical professionals, even if you're a dentist, uh, would do that as well. But that's just Sean's little rant and no one cares about me. We're here to talk about you. (laughs) All right. So, Mr. David, in uh, the Longhorn State, you have that one attempt or is there more than one?
0: That was the only attempt.
1: And that was if I my math is correct 2006, 2005
0: or 2006, you know I forgot it, I forgot when it was for such a long time.
1: Mm-hmm. I have
0: to go back and actually look at documents. Where does it begin? I think pertaining to my attempt, it related to uh, 1994 when my partner, died of AIDS mm. meeting him in 1989 and sharing a life together. That was really wonderful. And having the five years that we did, I reserved a part of myself to envision that I would continue if something happened to him. And, uh, it did, you know, it did happen and it was horrible I was heartbroken for a long time, but I, have you know, I, I began the heartbreaking process in the beginning, finding out, you know, that he was already ill when we found out, you know, it was a process of over years. So that is the background.
1: 1989, you start your relationship with him, right? 1994. He, he, we can use the word passes away now, right? <laughs>
0: yeah
1: yeah <laughs> he passes away from uh, AIDS, so we've got about a 12, eleven or twelve year period of time here where I imagine it's probably very hard, probably that's an understatement right what happens after his death, and you're trying to get on with things as best one possibly can
0: right and i and I did quite well for several years thinking you know, I really felt like, okay, I'm a decent person. I I have the ability to, you know, engage with other people and I can eventually meet someone and have a very good experience, although I'm not going to put parameters on it to try to replace my dear Doyle. So I thought, well, with that Limitation, realizing that you know you shouldn't do that, I felt like I had a good chance to meet somebody, and I did. I did, you know, all the things that you would expect one to do who was interested in meeting someone else. I even began a uh, gay singles group for Dallas, anybody citywide. It was it was a nonprofit. I operated it by myself and with some help. It's like, you know, let's all do something for each other. I did it for two years. I couldn't get people to, guys to understand that in order for it to really be a successful group, we needed to remain steady with it. People would come for a couple of events and then they would not come anymore after that. So I had all this, you know, people circulating through. So I probably, you know, I met probably the most number of guys. I just realized that people are not going to, we're not going to have the vision that I had for it. And so I didn't, you know, make any big announcement or anything. I just quit sending invitations.
1: This was like 90s, still in the 90s?
0: probably 96, 97.
1: And how does that experience, does that connect it all to, it's all connected, of course, it's your life. How does that connect to what eventually happens about 10 years later?
0: Well, because, you know, that that represents the extent to which I did go to make the opportunity available to meet someone.
1: Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. I was not... And you know, a lot of people that came to that, they were not interested. They were not interested in bars, which is what you know everyone does. But it represents the extent to which I went to you know facilitate having somebody in my life. And I, you know, I just envisioned having someone in my life. Even after that, you know, I went on. It was like, okay, this is not working. You know, next step, whatever.
1: Up until Doyle's death, as a kid, teenager, young adult, did you deal with, let's call them ideations at all? Was that that, is that something that's just like completely new when it starts to happen?
0: Never, never okay. before that. I was able to tolerate a lot of conflict that happened within, you know, starting as a teenager when I realized I was gay, because at first, for a long time, I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't even realize, you know, that I was gay. I dealt with it through, you know, my Christian faith. I went for counseling, trying to understand, trying to felt like do what was going to help me. And I felt like, you know, for a long time, it was like what I'm reading in the Bible is something that apparently God doesn't want and I don't want it. So what's the problem? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I had gone through all that. Came to a point. And it's like, okay, this is not something about me that's going to change. You know, I'm going to make the best of it mm-hmm. and yeah. be happy. And that—that's what I did. So it really had not been, you know, an obsession. I, I never once thought of ending my life during all those mm-hmm. years.
1: I don't know if this applies to everybody, but it probably does. That you know, people don't wake up and just try to end their lives. There's usually a process. There's some time involved. They start to think about it. Something is sort of planted in their mind. So when for you, does it start to be even a little inkling of a possibility?
0: I didn't have, you know, the ideation for a whole long time. I pretty much was willing to deal with whatever I encountered in life. But I think that the day that I tried it, I I said, uh, you know, about the whole thing. I was resolute. You know, Mm -hmm. I was determined that it would stop that day.
1: What would stop?
0: That my life would stop, that Mm -hmm. I wasn't going any further. And the things that led to it, I think, were the background of, yes, losing my partner. I overcame that. I have shared this before on my blog and on my Facebook page, you know, that I was also strongly affected by 9/11 in that I lost all my investments that mm. I had; everything, you know, dwindled to zero. But I did have property, and I had that. I had property that, you know, did not lose its value. That was a separate devastation on its own, something that I didn't, you know, expect. And you know, I had I had invested the money that I got. From my partner's death, you know, it was like a double blow. Mm. It wasn't just the funds; it was symbolic too.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's that stuff is adding up, obviously.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So what happens next? What what you said that you were resolute, that you were determined. Do you remember? I know I'm asking you a lot of, to remember a lot of stuff. All right. I mean, do you remember where there's a sort of switch? I know it may not be like a moment. It probably tends to evolve over some time or change over time, but. Like a switch of all right, I'm out.
0: It's funny, my um I also was have been a teacher in the past in public mm-hmm. schools and in private schools. I worked in a psychiatric hospital for three years as a teacher. Mm. Wow. You know, I mean, I was of the type of person that I was very devoted to students and their point of view and understanding and so forth. It was a lot better than being in the public school because we had resources of how to deal with students who were having difficulties or problems. And uh, in the public school, you just have everybody lumped into your classroom of 30 or more. So it was a comfortable place to be. But I suppose, you know, during this time that I was teaching, uh, we had one of the doctors Timberlawn Psychiatric Hospital was the premier psychiatric hospital really making history in the beginning for psychiatric field. We had a doctor there who committed suicide. She took an entire month's supply of antidepressants Mm -hmm. and that was it. Mm -hmm. That's where I got the idea. Ironic. It, at the time that it happened, you know, I was just devastated that we lost this doctor. I had just dealt with a lot of people's different realities. Uh huh. To know that, you know, people get in desperate circumstances mm-hmm. for whatever reasons.
1: I think about this thing about just talking about suicide give people ideas. I tend to think no. If I, if they did, I would be Thinking twice about this podcast or some of the things we talk about. But you say something like that, and I'm like, okay, well.
0: There was so many years between that event and when I finally decided to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, there were other things that happened that it seemed like things in life were just determined to bring me down. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I just got tired of it. The other event that is a huge factor in what I did, there's a big uh, interest in the gay community, got guys, of working out in the gym. There's stuff that goes on in a gym that really only guys know. When I was with my partner, it was happening, guys, you know, would have their little visual pleasures that they would engage in in the shower or whatever, and it's like between two people usually it wasn't like a you know something real public. One day at the gym they approached me as I was leaving. It was a policeman and they took me in the office and they uh charged me with indecent exposure. They had a an officer planted in the showers Jesus. Is there not anything better you can do with your time, no. boys? Come on, or gals. I can see how some people would just like turn their head in disgust or whatever. But the thing is, it put something on my record that I could not get rid of. I was hoping to return to at least substitute teaching. When I went to apply and I talked with the personnel people, As soon as you apply for it and we run the background, as they said, it will automatically revoke your teaching certificate. That was a huge factor. Mm -hmm. I had tried to do other things, tried to get other jobs. I was working for myself doing property uh, renovation, but I was getting tired of it. But I got a lot more tired of it before it was over with because no one would hire me.
1: There are, I'm sure, other places that are more punitive than we are. Who we go after often, how we go after them, and then after even they might uh, sort of pay their dues, pay their penance, if found guilty, uh, they, we still punish them in so many ways. One, you make one mistake, we'll just ru- ruin your life. Unless you're super rich, of course, then everything's different.
0: The, the police officer at the time tried to you know, express that it's, it's really not that big of a deal. It's barely more than... Anything more than a traffic ticket. When I found out, when I realized how much it was affecting my life, and it was a it was a deferred adjudication, no finding of guilt was the eventual outcome after so many weeks or a couple of months. That was it. But yet, yeah, people still hammered me with it.
1: And if this happened. In 1983, it's hard to find that stuff. Fast forward 20 years, it's not that hard to find that stuff. People can find things easily now. So all that's part of it. And
0: yeah, I I think. There was a fine and so forth, and it was deferred, adjudicated. You move through it, and you put it past you, and you go on. I worked for myself for a long time and was happy to. As things developed, then I kind of wished I had, you know could go back to teaching in the city that I was living in. I, I I lived in Fort Worth when I did this. I had tried to volunteer at a nursing home just you know to be doing something positive. I had grown up actually doing it. They wouldn't even let me uh, volunteer as a exactly. nursing
1: home. right, right, right. I mean, it's amazing. I don't like our society very much, David. And I hate to be a complainer, but I really don't.
0: It's just all of these things just kept hammering on me. When I lived over in Fort Worth, I finally, I just had had enough of trying everything I wanted to try to do and being blocked in every way. I, you know, attempted quite a number of relationships. It just ended in, They weren't necessarily bad things the way they ended, but it was just like either you're in love or they're in love, but you're not both in love and it just doesn't happen.
1: Sure. Story of my life, David. (laughs) So take us to, if you can, if you're okay with that, 2005, 2006, we're circling back. You said you were resolute. Can Can you talk about that day?
0: It's real interesting that... Even trying to go back to that day, I really couldn't. I couldn't remember what all Mm. happened exactly that day. But in in intervening years, I'm a contributor on uh, the Internet Movie Database website, do reviews of shows and things. The day that uh, I had taken the overdose, I had posted a review that day. And I discovered it many years later. It's like, that's the first time I did That's the first time I posted on it. And it's like, I looked at it and read it. And it's like, nothing that I said in what I wrote sounded like I wasn't going to be around. You know, it was just a a review of a movie. Sure. I thought, that is bizarre. So I don't know. With medication, you can't always be 100% certain that it didn't have some effect. For the longest, I couldn't even remember what medicine that I was on at the time.
1: You were on a medicine to treat? A depression. depression. Is that the medicine you used to overdose? Yes. And so on that day, the same day you wrote the review, which you later remembered, when you took the medication, I mean, did you, these are these are tricky questions here, so I'll try to be delicate about it. Okay. You know, people talk about wanting to die, and some people I talk to say, I want it out. Other times, people will say... I was in a lot of pain. I wanted the pain to end. And if I could end that pain and not die, I would have I would have chosen that. Do, does one apply to you, or is it a little bit of both or neither?
0: I felt like I was boxed in and there was no, I just didn't see the way forward. I had some money, you know, in my account. I wrote out a suicide note. I typed it out really nicely on my computer, printed mm-hmm. it out for my Two sisters, my mom. I wrote checks to my relatives for the amounts of money so that would all be that they would all get it from my account. I had it all ready and prepared and had it put out. Mm. I just had reached the limit. It's like I'm not going any further. This is it. I'm done. So I took the full month supply of the antidepressant that I was on. I washed it down with a lot of rum and Diet Coke. I also had a medication for anxiety that I had taken for many years. I took about 10 of those and just kept drinking rum and Diet Coke. I felt really sure that this would end it.
1: (laughs) So you'd use that word resolute when you're writing the note and when you're writing the checks, are you, I could be way off here. It sounds like you were probably rather calm.
0: I was. I was very calm. I was like, this is all I'm going to do. I'm just not going to do anymore.
1: You we were done. That's what we, you
0: what were done. Saying. You know, I still have the note, not because I I didn't save it because oh, this is a treasure <laughs> possession. But <laughs> I came to after a few days. I was alone in my house. Nobody knew what I had done. But a few days? I started coming to. I do know that you know, I I made I made coffee, was drinking, and I splattered it all over the note and all over the checks as I came to, and then you know eventually really because at first it was just like a barely even becoming conscious, but yet I was. <clears throat> I don't really know what happened because I was by myself, and then you know when I fully realized that it didn't work and it didn't happen. Now, what do I do?
1: Right. I would imagine that's a really what's the word when you when you realize that you didn't. Yeah, you're alive.
0: I've been in counseling some this summer. And, you know, she asked me, said, were you angry when you realized that it didn't work? And I said, not really. I said, I had every intention of it being effective, but I don't know. I just I knew that in my in my stupor, I had made coffee, which is so something like I would do. I simply just, you know, got up and started going forward again. I even started dating a guy that I met, and I told him about it. He said, well, you know what? I have been there before myself. I tried, or almost tried. We went along for a while, dated, but then I heard on the news one evening there was this uh, Dallas psychiatrist who had been featured there was a um, radio disc jockey who had been on the news feature item, had struggled with depression and, and Dr. Hollander treated him. And so it sounded really good. And I started driving from Fort Worth over to North Dallas to Dr. Hollander's office, told them, you know, what I had done. You know, I said, I, I just need help. I, I don't, I just don't know what to do. You know, since I've, found myself still alive, I got myself busy to try to help myself. (laughs) And
1: I know that because you're still here, because you didn't try again from what you shared. No. And you also said that your current treatment plan is the best you've ever been on, that however you define it, there have been some things that have happened that bring you here with me today, because otherwise you might not be here. Right. And your dog wouldn't have a father. (laughs) You didn't tell him that you're on a podcast, apparently. You didn't tell him that we're recording. David, David's dog, you know, he's on a podcast. We're recording Uh David's dog. That's
0: Charlie. He's adorable.
1: Charlie, when you attempted, was that in the home that you are in now? Or was that elsewhere?
0: It was elsewhere. I'm in my sixth and final home, I I like to say. (laughs)
1: Got it. One other question about you. So you wrote these checks out. So you were thinking ahead, taking care of some loose ends, so to speak. I'm curious. This doesn't come up much in the podcast. You brought it up. So I'm going to ask about it, if that's OK. What do you put in a note? How do you put that together?
0: Uh, I've gone back and read it because when I sold that house and moved to where I am, it just was in a bunch of pile of papers that got brought over. So, you know, I I just wrote my honest feelings of it's like you know my family members knew they know how much I love them Mm. so they they must know how much pain that I was in to finally do this I just you know wrote from that point of view it's one page I still have it (laughs) I've looked at it again I like it was a nice note (laughs) do you
1: actually know where it is
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know where it is. Wow. Once I realized that I still had it, I thought, well, I guess I will hang on to that. I've already been through, you know, the worst, just through the worst. It, it just, it came to that point. I didn't ever do anything in my life before that time or since that hasn't been, you know, with purpose and intentional.
1: So you didn't go to the hospital. It sounds like you woke up Uh, and made coffee and yeah.
0: No, I didn't. How I many didn't al- tell anybody for a long time, but I finally told my sister and my mother.
1: What was that conversation like?
0: Well, I don't remember the exact conversation, but you know, I know it was shocking to them. Within that conversation, you know, was the promise that I would not try to do it again.
1: Did they ask you to promise that, or no, you? I, no?
0: I, no, I promised them that I wouldn't,
1: and you stuck to it.
0: And I've stuck to it.
1: You think you'll? be able to stick to it until the end of your days?
0: Yeah. If, if I've stuck through it now, I think I can stick yeah. to it. But I do realize, and I've, I've gone for some counseling recently, and I do realize that there's really a narrow margin of what I can tolerate that doesn't soon get me back to feeling that way again. Since I've lived here in this house for 15 years, many years I lived here. Seven years ago, I had a massive heart attack. I have diabetes, the major depression, coronary artery disease. I didn't even expect to be living now. How old are you? I'm 65. When I made this move and came over here, I went to a church. Uh, A good friend that I grew up with was she was secretary of the church? Our former youth director was assistant pastor. You know, and I laid it all out for them. I said, you know, I've, I'm coming here. I said, I've, I've attempted to kill myself, and it didn't work. And I really need a place to go. So I began there, and I'm still going there.
1: there. Is a church in Texas that embraces your uh, sexuality?
0: They don't really, but. There was nothing really to embrace except me.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. Sure. Sure.
0: They know basically my story.
1: As a Christian, and I'm not, I don't know too much about, frankly, religion a little bit. You know, I'm your classic Northern agnostic guy. Okay. Don't know if it's in the Bible, but as far as I know, suicide's a no-no.
0: Well, it's traditionally in the church, especially the Catholic church, it's a no-no. I personally uh, had a view of it. It's not really really even discussed in the Bible. It's only something that is a conclusion drawn on the basis of one of the Ten Commandments, do not kill. That's really all there is. And I personally never felt like that it was any, you know, had anything to do with one's eternal destination. You
1: didn't think you'd be going to hell?
0: No. Oh, no. No, because I was, you know, through everything that I've gone through, I've always been very confident in the faith that I have. And the pastor that I have been attending this church has said from the pulpit many times, it's like, if someone commits suicide, that is not does not indicate anything about their final destination. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he's not he would never advocate for that. But the Catholic Church, particularly, has advocated for it. But I'm not sure they still do.
1: But you believe in God, right? You wouldn't go to a church and embrace that faith if you didn't believe in God.
0: Right. right. I've been all over the map. You know, I was raised going to church and believing. But I've gone all over the map, sometimes like not believing. It's like, oh, this is all just, you know, a myth. Why do we believe all this? And then I just kind of stayed with my, you know, basic beliefs. I I, I just haven't had any real reason not to. Sure. How
1: many people know that you are talking with me?
0: Well, I put it on Facebook today. So whoever my friend is, okay. <laughs> they know that I'm doing this today, including huh? my sister. You know, I just said, this guy is doing this to help people. Uh, I said, everybody, we all need each other's help. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to do it to offer hope.
1: Well, you said when we first got on that it was a mission of yours.
0: Right. Finding about your podcast was a perfect thing for me.
1: Oh, great. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I'm
0: so glad that you decided to do it.
1: <laughs> I just did it. It's re- right. So, you want to offer hope to others. Do you have people in your life? You had mentioned your sister. You mentioned you go to church. Do you have people to talk to?
0: Well, I do, and I don't. As for myself, I would have benefited from and enjoyed much closer communication with family, friends, and my people at my church, but it really hasn't ever developed so that I'm close to a lot of people at my church. A lot of people know about me and they know my story. I would have spent time with them over these past years to help with some of the loneliness. I have stuck it out all on my own. Wow. I think of it as I have endured. Yeah, I endured when I was on treatments that were much less successful than what I have, what I'm on now. You know, I'm so happy to wake up every day and not be depressed. I'm delighted. I have sat here in this house by myself for so many years, and I still did not want to live. Yeah. I did not want to live. I'd like
1: it for people to understand that because if somebody survives an attempt, it doesn't mean the next day they're good to go.
0: Right. They just happen to survive. It it was a long, long journey.
1: Yeah.
0: And there's a lot of people that couldn't endure it because the first medication that Dr. Hallner's office put me on was very harsh. Mm -hmm. It was very harsh. You know, it was just, kind of like trial and error for all these years.
1: Right. And you're battling a lot of it. It sounds like alone, which is my, I don't have any proof of this. It's almost impossible to quantify or measure. I think that is the biggest killer. I think it is
0: too.
1: I think it's more than anything else that you can possibly, I and I, I, don't, I don't even think it's that close. I really do. I really no. believe that. So I know you have Charlie. And I know you go to church and I know you're on a treatment plan. What, if anything else, helps you feel okay?
0: Since I had the massive heart attack, Mm -hmm. I applied for disability seven years ago. You know, based on my three disabilities of defining depression, the massive heart attack, the advanced coronary artery disease, diabetes, and I have more. (laughs) But they awarded me with a disability on the first time and everybody was telling me that you'll get turned down. I just laid it all out there pretty much as I have for you. In just a few months time, they awarded me the disability.
1: Good. Good. You had said earlier that you, you gave an example of your dentist saying it was a selfish decision or selfish act. Just about everybody I've spoken to for this podcast, they deal with people saying things that, for lack of a better word, are just stupid, not kind. Is that something? And again, I know you haven't shared it with a lot of people, but you know, when even if the word depression comes up or other challenges come up, does that come up for you a lot? People saying things that you're like, what the fuck?
0: I'll tell you this, is as open a person as I, I am. You know, I have shared pretty much all of this on my Facebook page. It's hit or miss. I actually had somebody that I've known all my life made a statement to me that was so horrible, I couldn't even comprehend why. I made reference to the fact that I still had the suicide note. You know, I'm, I, I'm not somebody who I certainly don't go online and brag about things or... it's not a place where I try to manipulate people or anything, but he he just said to me, you're nothing special. He said, that's the lamest thing I've ever heard of is someone hanging on to the suicide note for 15 years.
1: Anything else? Did he add anything else? Or was that it? That's the,
0: that's basically what he said. You know, it's like Facebook
1: friend or a friend, friend.
0: Our families grew up in a small town, East of here knowing each other and i've known the family all my life you know it went immediately from him being my friend to i'm blocking you (laughs) there's no room for any grace for anybody to say something like that for sure there there just there just isn't
1: no coming back from that one buddy (laughs) feel free to say absolutely not here but given what you just shared And this kind of comment that comes from a man and that you, I don't know, have you ever shared the contents on Facebook, but you want to read the note?
0: I have it. I mean, I haven't read it in a long time, but I know where it is.
1: Yeah. Have you ever posted it for people to see or is that?
0: Actually, that's what I had done that day is I had posted a copy of it Mm -hmm. and that was what he was reacting to. And so with his comment and everything, I deleted the whole thing. You know, if I'm going to open myself up to something this horrible, mm-hmm. I, you know, I just don't understand anybody who doesn't take what someone says, you know, kind of at face value and they were honest in their expression. I yeah. just don't understand that.
1: There's a word for that. When people are able to do those things, the word is empathy. We we've talked about this already.
0: I know. I know. I mean, I've just, you know, I've worked in a profession that has a lot of empathy, I've expressed it, and I've been a recipient of a lot of empathy.
1: Maybe that's a part of it. When we get it, we give it. I don't know. Maybe that's a part of it. Are there any myths around suicide, suicidal ideation, sexuality? Any of the things these sort of overlap in some ways that you want to dispel or call bullshit on?
0: Sexuality involved in all this. Yeah, I tried for a very long time you know, to connect, make a connection with someone. You know, one of the reasons why you know I did the attempt was I'd never envisioned my life being alone. Mm-hmm. I just didn't envision it that way. In enduring all this <laughs> length of time, you know, I've I've reached a stage uh, physically where even the sex drive is no longer. A part of my life. It's just totally disappeared. Mm -hmm. And it's been, it's been for me a lot easier since then, the last several years, just realize that the line has been drawn Hmm. and, you know, I'm not going any further with that. So what's
1: the myth around that? If anything, I don't know. Oh, it's interesting either way. I'm just curious. Yeah.
0: I don't think there's a lot of people who are willing to explore the topic of Attempted suicide. I mean, they're not even willing to say that someone killed themselves. So you know, why would they be interested in exploring the topic?
1: Makes sense. Yeah, I can't tell you exactly my interest, but I have some ideas. My own life. It's strange to me why people seem so averse to it, but I'm trying to figure it out. I don't know if I'll ever have answers. We do what we can do, right?
0: I think people are uncomfortable because of the feelings that they might have. Uh, If they, you know, give it very much place.
1: I agree. I think you're being very kind. (laughs) Well, I think that is a part of it. I think people there's other things at play, too. But that's just my take.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's certainly not all one thing. Yeah. Uh,
1: Anything else, Mr. David in Texas that you would like to add that I may not have asked or came up?
0: I just welcomed the opportunity to do this because I'm completely open I have shared many things uh, with my adoring public (laughs) that, you know, other people would never, you know, I've gotten comments at various times, you know, from people that say, I'm just so glad you had the wherewithal to share that. I give people credit for those kindnesses and their grace. So be it for me to withhold my grace from anyone.
1: Now, you might not like what I'm about to say. Okay. I don't know much about religion, and I don't know much about Christianity. And there is a lot in the news, and some of it's probably very not accurate. Here's what I know about Christianity and Jesus. I'm pretty sure he'd be pretty cool with the way you were living your life. That's what I know.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know your day-to-day routines. It doesn't matter. But the way in which you talk about being there for people or, or sharing and the grace I don't again, I can't even I can't quote anything, but I, I'm pretty sure the his main thing was take care of people, especially the ones who are going through a tough time.
0: Right. Everything that pertains to humanity around you has a direct bearing between you and God. You know, the Old Testament religion that was part of it. Don't bring me your gifts if you have got something against so and so. Don't do that. Go to your friend or your brother in my long life i am confident of this one thing you know that i i am doing i believe what christianity wants me to do believes and i should do to my left and to my right my neighbors and if they need something i try to help them uh that's what it's about i think doyle would be pretty
1: proud of you man don't know him don't know you very well but uh Right. I'd have to believe he he feels like uh, David done good.
0: I think so. I hope so. And over all these many years, I have no you know sense of consciousness of him continuing in existence. But it's like, I wish he could know. I hope he really knew how much I loved him. Mm. The other thing I was going to say is I have continued to delve into family history and ancestry that has been a very fulfilling thing for me, both in my family and on my partner's side of the family. I was like, okay, I want to know. I want to know about all the, you know, families going back and so forth. So I've done all that, and that's that's been very fulfilling.
1: Very interesting, yeah. Huge thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Glad we connected, and glad you were you shared the way you did.
0: Yes, thank you so much, Sean.
1: I hope your day with Charlie in texas it's a good one
0: it is as long as we're inside
1: same here man i'll tell you right now we are at i'm in chapel hill north carolina now people won't be hearing this in july it'll be a little later it is july 5th or 6th and it is 99 degrees <laughs> and rather humid and you this bald know. guy will probably be staying inside right so. all right sir i will uh, connect with you soon thank you once again and uh yeah i hope you stay well All right, you too. Take care, David. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to David in Texas. Thank you, David. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. There are a few links in the show notes. And the first one is yet another way you can reach out to us and leave us a recorded message. There are also a couple of ways you can help us out financially, as well as a link to upcoming events. Thank you so much for your support, however you support us. We really do appreciate it. And that is all for episode number 130. Stay strong, do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.